Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. How's everybody doing? Doing well today? Yeah, yeah, okay, we're getting there, we're getting there. I want to welcome all of you who are here and all of you who are watching online as well. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship and the study of God's Word. And today, uh, we're back in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We actually started last week. We dove back into our study of Thessalonians in a series called Atypical. And last week, we began with the first theme of 1 Thessalonians 4, and that is sex. So if you missed it last week, you'll want to go online and check it out. Let me just give you a quick recap here. First of all, we affirm that sex is incredible. Even though it's often misused and misunderstood, it's really good thing because God created it. And that's our second point, right? God created sex. Sex is God's design. And God doesn't make junk. Now, we also talked about the fact that if God created sex, think about this. If sex is God's creation, wouldn't he know best how it works? Like how it should work. So he has the authority to attach some guidelines to it that will actually enhance our lives rather than destroy our lives. And I try to tell people all the time, God is not down on sex. He created sex. He's down on pain, and he wants to spare you from that. And that's why there are dozens and dozens of passages in the Bible that say that God's design for sex is to be in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. For example, in Mark 10, Jesus says, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That's God's design. It's called the oneness factor. One plus one equals one for the rest of your life. You know, the biggest lie in our society today is that sex is purely physical. Like it's just bodies mingling and colliding together. No, God's design for sex is that it touches the deepest part of who you are, touches your soul. So sex is incredible. Sex is God's design. Then we talked about a third truth, and that is sex is lurking. What I mean by lurking is it's always around, like everywhere that you go. You drive down the road, it's used for advertising on billboards, at at bus stops. Every magazine cover has a sexual image or sexual content, movies, television shows. Everywhere you go, sex is used to sell. I mean, what used to be relatively hidden from society 40, 50 years ago is now mainstream. It's in your face. It's a part of American culture. And unfortunately, that's led us to kind of normalize it and just overlook it. And we kind of walk through life going, ah, it's not that big a deal, right? Uh, movies, no big deal. Photos, no big deal. A television show is no big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's just not that big a deal. But as soon as you adopt that attitude, watch out. Watch out. Sex is lurking. Sex is incredible. Sex is God's design, and sex is lurking. That's an overview from last week. Now, we also dove into our main passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That word means holy, set apart that you should avoid sexual immorality. So God's will for us is what? It's, it's holiness. And that simply means to be set apart. 
Holiness means you're set apart from the world's way and set apart to God's way. Holiness is becoming who God wants me to be and not who the world tempts me to be. Now, the second part of this particular passage here is when Paul says, it is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. And if you were here last week, I promised you that I would elaborate on this term sexual immorality because it's so crucial in this text. It's the Greek word porneia, from which we get our word pornography. And I've heard some pretty wacky definitions of porneia coming from supposedly informed Bible scholars over the years. And I got to tell you, they're for the most part just a grasping at straws in an attempt to justify certain forms of illicit sexual behavior that God never intended to justify. And I always tell people, if you want to find someone to tell you what you want to hear, you can always find someone. But if you want to be honest about what this phrase really means, let me point you to theologian F.F. Bruce, probably the greatest Greek scholar of our generation. And he has an excellent definition of porneia and its implications in the Roman and Greek world of the first century. Listen to this. He says, the word porneia comes from the root term for harlot, who were called porni. But this term was used to denote any form of illicit sexual relationship. This term meant any form of illicit sexual relationship. And Christianity from the outset has sanctified sexual union only within marriage, as in Judaism. Outside of marriage, it was forbidden. Now, this was a strange notion in the pagan society to which the gospel was first brought, because there, various forms of extramarital sexual union were tolerated, and some were even encouraged. A man might have a mistress who could provide him also with intellectual companionship. The institution of slavery made it easy for him to have a concubine. And casual gratification was readily available from a harlot. He goes on to say, so there was no body of public opinion to discourage pornea. In fact, certain forms of public religion involved ritual pornea. For instance, in Thessalonica, this is the book we're studying. He's writing it to the Thessalonians. In Thessalonica, it was sanctioned by the cult of Kabiri of Samothrace. So in their culture, extramarital sex was sometimes an act of worship. And there's your cultural implication. And Paul steps onto the scene, and he says to first century believers, you are to be different. You're to be separate. You're to be holy. You're to avoid sexual immorality. And the term avoid there in the Greek, pekasli, it literally means to abstain. And so Paul was teaching abstinence in a culture of indulgence. So what does this mean? Well, it means saying no to all forms of sexual wrongdoing. That means saying no to premarital sex, even if it's with someone you plan to marry. It means saying no to extramarital sex, to being unfaithful to your husband, your wife. It means saying no to homosexual sins, even though that's a hot topic in our world today. It means saying no to pornography, to clicking on that website, to viewing that TV channel. It means saying no to the world and saying yes to God. The Bible says that sex is so sacred and so important that it's to be performed in the boundaries of marriage alone. Hebrews 13.4 says it well. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, God doesn't leave any room for any questions. Any sex outside the bounds of a husband and wife falls outside the realm of biblical morality. I know that's tough, but it is what the Bible says. And people, we need to remember that everything, 
Everything that God puts in this book right here is for our benefit. It's to protect us, to help us live the best, healthiest life possible. You may not know this, but recently, even secular, a-religious psychologists are coming to some startling conclusions about the damage that rampant sexual immorality is doing in our culture. They've actually started to identify a link between sexual immorality like one-night stands and pornography and our own guilt, loneliness, low self-esteem, anxiety, and depression. See, some are being honest about the damage that casual sex is doing to us. And again, these aren't even Christians, but they're backing what we believe God put into the Word for our own benefit. Now, I know that some people think there's no way. Like, everybody's doing it. It can't be avoided. And even if that's true for the world, it's not true for us as Christians because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Yeah. And there's a little fruit of the Spirit called self, what is it? Control. Self-control. Paul says you've got to have self-control if you wish to achieve purity. Look at verse 4. Each of you should learn to control. I think that's significant, isn't it? You've got to learn to control. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And I want to say a word to, to the youth here, and actually anybody, maybe even their 20s, even young adults that could be in their 30s. Because you were raised with this understanding that abstaining from sex before marriage is just unreasonable. Like it's impossible to control your body. In fact, the messaging that you received was just say no to drugs, right? But it's impossible to say no to your sexual desires, those needs in your life. Well, I believe, and so does God, that that's a lie that we've chosen to believe. William James, the father of modern psychology, once said this, there is nothing so absurd, but if you repeat it often enough, people will believe it. Well, that's good, isn't it? That's actually, boy, we could apply that across the board, couldn't we? Let me say that again. There is nothing so absurd, but if you repeat it often enough, people will believe it. And because our society says so often you can't control yourself, people have started to believe that. But it's a lie. And regardless of how you've been conditioned to respond to your sexual impulses, you don't have to be a slave to them. So you have something called a will. You can say no. Believe that because God believes that. Now, I'll get into deep conversations with people, especially guys, and they'll say to me, Brian, 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 you just don't understand. I can't control myself. Yeah, you can't control yourself. You just think you can and that's the problem right there. You've lost from the get-go if you think you can't control yourself. And I want to paint a picture for you this morning, okay, because I want to put this issue to rest once and for all. We're going to bury this six feet deep, cover it over with dirt, all right? I want you to follow me here, track with me here. Let's say you go out, whatever your favorite social event is. Let's say you go dancing, clubbing, whatever it is, and you run into this very, very attractive woman and you know, you guys are, are hitting it off, eye contact, conversation, the whole bit. It's happening. And then she invites you over to her house, and you go. And things are getting hot and heavy. Clothes are about to start flying. Windows are steaming up, okay? And you're thinking, oh, it's too late now. There's, there's no turning back. I can't control myself. Just can't control it. And then she says to you, hey, before we totally get into it, before we go any further, I haven't told you some things I need to tell you. First of all, I work in the cubicle next to your mom, yeah. And, 
And second, you know, I, I have at least 15 sexually transmitted diseases, okay? There may be more, 15 that we know of, all right? And, and, and also my boyfriend, Spike, he's getting out of prison sometime today. I don't know exactly when. Like, he could be home any moment now. Okay, in that point in time, do you say to yourself, I don't care. I just can't control these sexual impulses. No way, okay? No way. With all that information, you will have so much self-control, you'll make Gandhi look like a slacker, okay? You'll be out of there. See, I say all that to tell you, you have self-control. You have self-control. Now, it's difficult for me to say this because I, I realize um, some of you are going to write me off at this point. <laughs> but when it comes to living life, you don't need sex. Some of you guys are saying, okay, you're an idiot. I'm, I'm out of here. All right, just, just go neck up with me for a second. Let's just think, okay? Let's talk about what we need. Let's make a list. All right, air. All right, we agree on that, okay. Water, yeah, all right. That's pretty much, yeah. Food, yeah, possibly ESPN Sports Center, all right. <laughs> but at least the three biggies, oxygen, water, food. That's what you need to survive. Right, you never see a guy in the desert going, I need sex, right? He's not doing that. <laughs> it can't be done. Hundreds of thousands, millions of Christians have saved sex until marriage. It's possible. It's not impossible. We're not just animals. We have the capacity to control our passions. We really do. And especially if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Okay, let's tackle another hot topic. Why not? I'm on a roll here, <clears throat> okay? One of the major discussions in our society today is this. Do people choose their sexual orientation... Or are they born heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, whatever it may be? Like, is it genetic? Is it behavioral? Is it environment? You know what? I think at the end of the day, ultimately, I don't think that matters. I somehow doubt that it's genetic because it would seem to wash out of the gene pool over time because a strict homosexual is not going to procreate, pass along those genes. But even if there was something genetic there, it wouldn't change God's behavioral standard. Wouldn't change that. See, all people are born with certain innate strengths and weaknesses, and they choose what forces will control their lives. Right? Alcoholism, for example, is genetic. There are certain people who have it in their physical makeup to be more vulnerable to alcoholism. That's why we say it's a disease. But that overuse of alcohol, that getting stuck into that, and that, and that alcoholism, that's also a choice because people can choose to drink or they can choose to abstain. In fact, God holds us accountable to say no to an excess desire for alcohol, right? Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk. You know, our society even finds it necessary to discriminate against drunkenness. You can be arrested and thrown in jail for drunk driving. That's not a lack of compassion. It's one of the most compassionate things our government can do to protect innocent drivers. I mean, this goes on and on, you know. Many people that have weight problems, they, that's genetic, okay? A lot of people are overweight. Man, they got slower metabolisms. They may have glandular dysfunctions. They may have all sorts of issues going on. But on the flip side of that, gluttony is still a choice. And, and if a person is in that mode and, you know, they're, they're vastly overweight, they can practice self-control. They can go on a diet. They can uh, exercise, do things along those lines. 
And God holds us accountable for that choice. Proverbs 23, 21 says, drunkards and gluttons become poor. And society at times finds it necessary to discriminate against overweight people. Now, I'm sorry, but you can't be a flight attendant because you're overweight. That's not a lack of compassion. If there's an emergency, we need a flight attendant who can maneuver quickly. People who struggle to control their temper can argue that that's genetic. Yeah, I was born with this bad temper. But God holds us accountable for a loss of temper. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. And society finds it necessary to discriminate against people who can't control their temper. Like if a young person goes on a rampage, commits acts of vandalism, he's held accountable. So let's just say, just for the sake of argument, that the inclination toward homosexuality is genetic. That there are certain men who are just born with more effeminate tendencies, certain women born with more masculine tendencies, certain ones that are born with propensities both ways. The practice, okay, the practice of homosexuality, bisexuality, any of the LGBTQ acronyms is still a choice. Not the orientation, not the desire necessarily, but the practice is still a choice. People can choose to yield to it or reject it. In fact, hasn't our society even termed it sexual preference? Sexual preference. Interesting choice of words because that implies a choice. And God makes it clear in his word that he does not hold us accountable for feelings or tendencies, but for our choices, for our actions. Now, I want to pause right here, right now, because I feel like I need to inject some grace into this truth. And I just want to let you know that I fully understand that the issues surrounding the LGBTQ movement are very complex. And I have compassion, and so does God, for people who struggle in this arena. And the point of this message is not to address the emotional pain and, and just the, the confusion and, and the trauma and the anguish that come along with, with God's word for people who don't seem to fit into the biblical mold. And I also want to say that the church as a whole has done a terrible job in dealing with this issue and showing sensitivity to others. Just awful. We've been critical, judgmental, hypocritical, everything but loving toward those who struggle with their sexual identity. I think that needs to change because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves them every bit as much as he loves me. Amen, yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, whether it's gluttony, anger, alcoholism, sexual issues, none of those things affect God's love for us. Your identity in Christ is not determined by those things. If you placed your faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, you're his beloved child and eternally secure, eternally secure. Regardless of whether you practice sexual immorality of any kind or have a drinking problem or lose your temper, you're not saved or kept saved by your behavior. If you've been part of a church that has taught that or told you you're going to hell if you practice those things or you're cut off from God and his love until you repent and live right, let me just go on record and say that's a pile of manure, okay? A little ringing there, just emphasize that. I mean, that pastor, that church, that teaching is flat out wrong. In fact, I believe it's a very deliberate lie from the enemy to discourage you, get you to give up. Don't believe that lie. God loves you in spite of your sin, in spite of your brokenness. And in fact, your personal struggle is no worse than the pride and spirit of judgment of that person looking down their nose at you. 
And because of that, at Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown, we welcome all people. Amen? We're all imperfect people learning to do life with this perfect God so we can experience the best life possible. And so we don't go around picking on particular sins. Now, it doesn't mean we don't teach that certain things are wrong and damaging to you and others. We do. That's what I'm doing this morning. We never, ever, ever compromise what God has to say in his word. But we also don't walk around judging people who are falling short. So I hope you find this church to be a place where you can get love and grace and compassion and, and help with whatever you're struggling with. Yeah, we welcome all people, but we challenge you to follow God's word, even if you don't like it, even if you don't understand it at times. Which brings us back to a crucial question in this text. Why? Like, why does God call us to avoid all kinds of sexual immorality? Like, what difference does it make? Well, because we know God's character, we know that he's got to be protecting us in some way. And according to this text, it's partly for the sake of other people. Look at verse 6. Look carefully here. Paul says, in this matter, okay, he's referring back to the sexual immorality, the sexual sins. In this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. So apparently we're hurting and or taking advantage of other people when we engage in these things. Basically, our actions affect other people. See, God is not an ogre sitting up in heaven trying to figure out how to keep us from having a good time with all these rules. No, he loves us. He wants us to live the best, healthiest life possible here on earth. And sexual sin tears us down. It tears us down. You know, a recent study from the Heritage Foundation discovered that teenagers who are sexually active, get this, teenagers who are sexually active are five times more likely to be depressed and suicidal. Five times. An unbelievable one in seven teenage girls who have lost their virginity attempted suicide shortly thereafter. You know, the number of sexually transmitted diseases is skyrocketing in our nation. Over 20 million new cases. 20 million, check this out, new infections occur in the United States every single year. And that number's on the rise. And yet we doubt God's goodness when it comes to restraining our sexual habits. God loves us, people. He's trying to protect us. See, man, I, I want you to be holy. I want you to be sexually pure. Why? So you'll be healthier. So your children will have a stable home. Your marriage will be solid. Contrary to popular opinion, sexual purity is encouraging. Okay, in the same way as someone who, you know, gets over an issue, an eating disorder or something along those ways, or, or somebody who just loses weight feels better, or in the same way that someone who overcomes alcoholism feels like they have a new lease on life, those who have been forgiven of their past offenses and are containing and curtailing their sexual urges, they always say, man, I feel so much better about who I am. God is transforming me. You know, the most fulfilled people are those who wait until marriage to have sex. Study after study after study has proven this. Now, let me just say a word to those of you who may be struggling in this whole area of sexual immorality. There is help available. Now, one of the biggest epidemics in our world today centers around pornography. I want you to just listen to these statistics here. One in five mobile searches today are for porn. Young adults aged 13 to 24 believe not recycling is worse than viewing porn. 
60, yeah, I know, right? 64% of Christian men and 50% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month, with about 20% of men reporting a severe addiction to pornography. A Psychology Today survey reported that over 90% of men viewed internet porn in the last six months. Another study revealed that one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis. It's an epidemic, people. Now, if you know the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tied lust directly into adultery and sexual immorality. And by doing that, he pretty much made every man who ever lived an adulterer, right? Yeah. As I said last week, we're all broken sexually. But let me say this. Just because lust is so common doesn't mean it's harmless. And just ask anyone who's been the victim of rape, molestation, sex trafficking, if lust was harmless. Ask anyone whose lives have been destroyed by an affair if lust was risk-free. It's not. It's not. And ladies struggle with sexual immorality as well. It just might look different than men. Women fantasize in unhealthy ways too. Consider the millions of copies of romance novels that are sold annually. You know, it was not men who made Fifty Shades of Grey the fastest-selling paperback of all time. Seriously. It may not be the same. You know, it may not be looking at those physical body parts, all that stuff, but maybe you lust after character qualities that your boyfriend, your husband doesn't have. And when you think about that guy you work with who's so sensitive, you wish your guy was more like that, and you're fantasizing about that stuff, that's lust. You see, this whole area of sexual immorality, it gets its tentacles in us in all sorts of ways. And maybe, just maybe, that should humble all of us, keep us from judging other people. And if you battle in this arena, you want help, let me encourage you to go to hillcountry.life. You'll find a confidential form there where you can just connect with somebody in our church, somebody that can help you. We have a number of people who've gotten to the other side of this. They've recovered from the grasp of this addiction. And you'll find nothing but grace and compassion from Jesus and his people here if you want to get healing, if you want to get to the other side of that. Now, as we close today, let me let you in on a little secret. Did you know what's often behind our sexual issues is not physical? It has to do with your mind. It has to do with the brain. It's actually a deeper psychological, chemical, emotional, and spiritual problem. And a lot of it, believe it or not, is tied to intimacy. You know, one of the things all of us in this room share in common is a desire for intimacy. Why? Because our souls are broken. Our soul cries out for intimacy. It goes to the core of who we are. And where it gets messed up sexually is that guys will often fake intimacy to get sex, and women will often fake sex to get intimacy. Both want intimacy, and they're confused about how to get there. And so God says, time out, time out. I know you want intimacy. I created you with that desire for intimacy. And I know how to get you there. It's going to look a little different than you think. See, God wants to transform our insecurity into intimacy with him. Let me say that again. God wants to transform this deep, deep insecurity into intimacy with him. But to get there, you've got to be different. You've got to be set apart. What's the word for it? You've got to be holy. God wants you to be holy, different from the world. And I'm telling you, you and I and, and everybody in our society, we will keep 
looking to sexual band-aids to try to cover over this emptiness we feel until we truly believe that only God has the answer to our deep, deep need. So regardless of your sexual past, regardless of your sexual opinions right now, regardless of your current sexual status, God wants to set you apart from everything destructive in this world. And for those of you who have a really bad sexual past and you're still plagued by feelings of guilt and pain and remorse, I don't care what sexual depths you've hit. Here's a picture of what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to wrap his arms around you and offer you forgiveness, redemption, and intimacy. Would you like that? It's totally available. You just have to ask him for it. Let's do that right now. Jesus, we come before you in this moment. And this is a holy moment. Because we want to be different. We want to be set apart. We want to stand out in this world. We're tired of buying the lies of the world that just enslave us. And even from a purely secular point of view, there's so much damage that sexual immorality can cause. And we want to be free from that. We want to be free from this addiction. Would you help us to go to you, to get that intimacy with you? And that you could heal our insecurity and you could provide the strength we need. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we could exercise self-control. God, I pray that you would remind all of us, regardless of how much or how little we struggle in this arena, that we're all broken. We're all at the foot of the cross. We all have our own issues that we wrestle with. And God, would you protect us from, from being critical, judgmental toward others? That we would not be so focused on the speck in our brother or sister's eyes or even those in the world who have a different view of this. But we would just focus on ourselves. Get that plank out of our own eye and really get healing and help from you. God, I believe that this is so key. We've got to be different. We've got to be set apart. We've got to be atypical in this world. And I think if we can do that, we will be light in the midst of darkness. But again, we recognize apart from your Holy Spirit helping us in this, we don't stand a chance. So God, would you help us to move forward and to seek your face? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hill Country Bible Church, let me just encourage you, as you walk out those doors today, you can be different. You can be atypical. You can be holy. Have a great week.